This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. If you're a new listener, this is where we look at what's going on in the economy, in the markets, and what's going on politically, and how it might affect you and your money. And we look at all this through the lens of history, because the reality is your history teacher was right. If it's happened in the past, it'll probably happen again in the future, because human behavior is predictable. If you've not yet requested your copy of our free May special report titled The Five Threats to Your Retirement and How to Avoid Them, I would encourage you to go to the website, requestyourreportnow.com. I'd be glad to send you a complimentary copy. And in this segment, I'm going to expand a bit on one of those threats, and that is the threat of inflation. Inflation, if you've been to the lumber company, if you've been to the grocery store, If you've purchased copper wire, you know that inflation is here. Now, I've been talking about this for a long time and been warning that the Fed's money creation policies would, at some point, if they continued, have to lead to inflation. Now, I'm going to talk about the Fed's monetary policies and inflation and dig into this a bit deeper in the next segment with my special guest today, uh, Mr. John Rubino. John co-authored a book about 10 years ago called The Money Bubble, and much of what he predicted in that book, much of what he talked about, is now coming to pass. So you'll want to stay tuned for that segment as well. Now, what does the Fed have to say about all this? Well, last week there was an inflation report that allegedly surprised those in charge at the Fed. They were surprised that the official measure of inflation, which, as we'll talk about in a minute, is somewhat flawed, or perhaps very flawed, they were surprised that this official measure of inflation surged. Now, I really don't think they were surprised because it's difficult to imagine those in charge of money creation, those that have been creating money at such a maniacal pace, to use that term, are surprised When inflation shows up, now they are insisting, they meaning the Fed, the Fed is insisting that the inflation that we are now seeing is transitory. It's going to settle down once the economy returns to a more normal status. Now, I think that there is no chance that it returns to a more normal rate of inflation if current monetary policy continues as it now seems that it will. Now let's dig into this consumer price index number. Wolf Richter talked about this last week in an article that he published, and he said the consumer price index jumped 0.8% in April from March, having jumped 0.6% in March from February, and having jumped 0.4% in February. So for the three months combined, if you add together the 0.8%, the 0.6%, and the 0.4%, you have a number of about 1.8%. So on an annualized basis, that's more than 7% annual inflation, and that's using the official measure of inflation. That's the Consumer Price Index. Now, what's interesting is that the Consumer Price Index over the years has been 
significantly, and underline significantly, manipulated. There are adjustments made to how the official inflation rate is calculated using several different adjustments. One of those adjustments is weightings. So, for example, if healthcare, which comprises approximately 20% of the U.S. economy, is weighted at 8 or 9% in the CPI, and we have big inflation in the healthcare arena, in the healthcare area, then we're under-measuring inflation. Now, another adjustment that's often used is that of hedonics. Now, an hedonic adjustment is really an adjustment for pleasure, for making a product more useful. So I'm going to show my age here. I remember growing up when I was the television remote control. I remember that when the channel needed to be changed, my dad would tell me to go change the channel. Now, fortunately, there was only three channels. So it didn't take too long to figure out what we wanted to watch. Now, when a television remote control was invented, not only did children all across the country breathe huge sighs of relief, but the price of TVs went up. But although the price of televisions went up, there was an hedonic adjustment applied because now that remote control made using the television more pleasurable. And even though you couldn't buy a TV without a remote at a certain point, there was no inflation because of that pleasure adjustment. Now, there's also an adjustment called substitution. And and this very simply is that if, for example, one particular item in the basket of goods and services that's used to measure the inflation rate, if it goes up in price too much, some bureaucrat decides that nobody's going to buy it and they substitute another item. Now, when you go back and look at the inflation calculation methodology that was used prior to 1980, and my past guest here on the program, economist John Williams, who does excellent work, and you can check out his work at shadowstats.com, he calculates the inflation rate prior to all these adjustments being made. He would calculate today, and you can go to Shadow Stats and check it out, that the official actual, not the official, but the actual inflation rate is approaching 13%. Now that is 1970s style inflation. But here's what is particularly disturbing. And that is the response of the Federal Reserve to this inflationary environment. Now, in the 1970s and presently, in my view, the cause of the inflation lies squarely at the feet of the Fed. However, in 1980, the Fed, then headed by a gentleman by the name of Paul Volcker, was a little bit more responsible. In 1980, responding to the high level of inflation, the Fed increased interest rates to more than 20% and inflation was subdued. Now, why is that? Why is inflation subdued when interest rates go up? Well, in our fractionalized banking system, money is loaned into existence. And when interest rates are more than 20%, how many people want to go out and borrow money? 
So the money supply contracted and inflation was subdued. We had a huge boom starting in the 80s, as many of you who are old enough might remember. Now, presently, the Fed is taking the polar opposite approach. They're vowing ultra-low interest rates moving ahead, and they're vowing more money creation. Now, why is the Fed taking an approach that is obviously so reckless and, in my view, will lead to even more inflation? Well, the answer can be found by looking at the government debt level, debt and unfunded liabilities, to be more specific. The Fed must now monetize government spending. Families with children starting this summer are going to get money, presumably free money, in the form of a tax credit. Families with children who make less than, I believe, $155,000 will be getting this check every month from the government. However, we all know, as savers and investors, that nothing is free. Nothing is free because we are all paying for this free money through now this inflation tax, which is becoming painfully obvious. An, in, an, interest, an increase rather in interest rates at this point fundamentally bankrupts the government or at least makes the bankruptcy obvious. Think about the interest on $30 trillion in debt if interest rates were to return to more normal levels. So the Fed here is really just painted into a corner. They have really no choice but to kick the can down the road and hope that the inflation blows up maybe on someone else's watch. That doesn't seem to be the case. And government finances are continuing to deteriorate. Deficit levels are up more than 30% from the same time frame last year, and allegedly the economy is returning to normal. Creditors are no longer lined up to buy U.S. government debt, so the Fed now has become the buyer of last resort, and they're using newly printed currency to purchase government debt, not directly, but by buying government securities from the big banks. Now, in the last segment of today's program, I want to talk about why gold and silver prices, although they're, they're breaking out here, why they haven't broken out to the extent that maybe some of you would have imagined that they would. And I'll talk about that in the fourth segment of today's program. But inflation now is a real threat to your retirement. And if you've not yet requested my May special report, I would encourage you to get it. It's titled, The Five Threats to Your Retirement and How to Potentially Avoid Them. You can go to requestyourreportnow.com. Let me know where to mail that report, and I'll be very glad to get it out in the mail to you. Uh, The report's available at no cost, no obligation to get it. Uh, Just go to requestyourreportnow.com. We'll get it out in the mail to you. And if you're not yet using the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates app, go to the App Store and search under your RLA. Type it in as one word, Y-O-U-R-R-L-A. You'll find it. You can download the app for free and get access to 
all of our resources, including the weekly headline roundup webinar, and you can watch the replay on the app as well. I'll be back after these words with Mr. John Rabino. You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me again on today's program is returning guest, Mr. John Rabino. Uh, John has a website that is uh, one of the primary news sources for me. It's dollarcollapse.com. He has a feature on the website uh, titled, I believe, Breaking News, Best of the Web, and it's constantly updated. There's links to a lot of great stories there, uh, a lot of John's perspective there as well. So I'd encourage you to check it out. That's at dollarcollapse.com. And, John, hey, welcome back to the program. Hey, Dennis. Good to be back. So, John, I don't even know where to start. Uh, many of the listeners uh, know that you co-authored a book uh, several years ago called The Money Bubble, and it talked about the ultimate demise of fiat currency, and it seems like we might be now headed down that path uh, uh, a little bit more firmly. Can you comment? Yeah, well, well the, um, the backstory is that um, fiat currencies exist by government decree or fiat, uh, and they're not backed by anything, which means the uh, the big governments of the world, you know, the guys running the euro and the yen and the dollar, um, basically have unlimited credit cards. They can create as much new currency as they want to to do anything they want. And human nature being what it is, um, they have um, abused that privilege outrageously by creating way too much currency. And so we ended up with a world that's just awash in debt. Everybody's Everybody owes money, and a lot of people can't pay that back, and governments have to create huge amounts of new currency to cover the cost of their old debts. And, and so we're kind of heading off a cliff financially. Um, and what's happened lately, and this was always going to happen, but the, uh, the pandemic basically made it happen a little sooner than it would have otherwise, is that we've, we've bumped up against a crisis that is so huge that it's forcing all the governments of the world to bail out basically everybody in sight. So... So the U.S. is just creating, you know, new dollars as fast as, as we can and dumping them out into the banking system. And it's causing a lot of disruptions in the financial world. You know, you've got bubbles in so many different places now. Um, you know, the, the tech stocks are a bubble and housing is almost a bubble again. And cryptocurrencies just went crazy in the last year. And it goes on and on. And, and these bubbles are not far from bursting in a lot of cases. So in, instead of having, um, you know, like we have in the past, a bubble in one sector where prices go through the roof and everything gets crazy and then it bursts and, and then the government creates a lot of new currency to fix that sector, uh, we've got the whole economy, the whole global economy, basically in a bubble right now. And when, you know, when the, the bubbles that make up that greater bubble start to burst, it's not clear how to fix it. <laughs> so that's where we are now. We're at at a point where uh, it's possible that this crisis, the coming crisis, is going to be too big to be fixed. And then what happens? You know, that's the big story. Uh, you know, what, what is it going to be like trying to get from that point to some kind of sustainable future, if that's indeed possible at all? So that, that's what we're headed into. It's a very interesting time from the standpoint of economic theory and probably a terrible time from every other standpoint. You know, it's not going to be fun to pass through. So, John, when, when you look at, you know, the Stephanie Keltons of the academic world that are advocating for modern monetary theory, the, the idea that, you know, you, you can print as much money as you want, and if we have inflation, you just pull it back out in the form of taxes, 
Um, you, you know, I, I, to, to me, that's just uh, really rubbish. It's fertilizer. But uh, are we now seeing that that, 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 that's really, that point is being proven now with all the inflation that we're seeing? Well, you can make the case that we're, we're already doing modern monetary theory, which is a theory that says, yeah, you know, governments don't really have to borrow money or tax their citizens or anything. They can just print as much new money as they need and, and run the government that way. Uh, you know, the, the operative phrase being as much new money as they need. You know, they get to define their needs, the governments of the world, and then they get to just finance those, that, that spending out of thin air. And uh, we're kind of doing that already, you know? We're, that's what we're doing with central banks, financing government operations. So uh, you can make the case that we're already doing monetary, modern monetary theory and that the result of what we're doing is the result of modern monetary theory, and it's bad. You know, we've got uh, um, suddenly soaring inflation in a lot of different sectors, which is what you get when you create too much new currency. Uh, we've got massive financial instability. We've got really bad debt taken on, being taken on by all kinds of different parts of the, the global economy. Um, and there doesn't seem to be any way out of that mess. So, you know, the people who are proponents of modern monetary theory are really just saying, let's ratify and acknowledge the current system by giving it an academic name instead of it being just this, this mess that... Uh, that kind of evolved organically. Now we're going to give it a name that implies we actually understand what we're doing, but we don't understand <laughs> what we're doing. So, um, so, so, you know, MMT is sort of a, it's a sideshow because we've already made those mistakes. We may make bigger mistakes of that kind as we try to get out from the mistakes we've made in the past, but um, there, there's no real fix. And so whatever we call it, you know, whatever we call the monetary system of the next few years, uh, it's going to be a catastrophe because uh, we've already baked into the cake some kind of an organic financial crisis by taking on way too much debt. Um, and, you know, the, uh, the the people who are running the show right now, or uh, put it in a different way, the people who caused the problems in the past are the people we've charged with fixing those problems going forward. So there's no reason to think that they have any special knowledge that will allow them to save us. You know, they're, Daddy is not coming home to fix this. There's no um, adult supervision in these markets anymore. And, you know, that's it. We just have to live through some horrendous financial crisis and try to come out the other end. So, John, what does this look like? I mean, I, I, I got kind of a, a maybe a, a sadistic kick out of the fact that the Fed was shocked by the inflation report, and yet they're the ones engaging in all the money creation. Um, and if you lose the use the CPI, uh, over, uh, I think it was February, March, and April, that we've got an annualized inflation rate officially of more than 7%, and that's obviously a number that is uh, manipulated as well. So what, what does this end game look like? I mean, when, when the bubbles begin to burst, uh, does the Fed just try to put the pedal down and create more money? And do we have a, a hyperinflationary event, or, or how does this play out in your view? Well, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, um, the the really scary part of the story. As scary as the present is, um, when these bubbles start bursting, the Fed only has <clears throat> one tool, which is easier money. So they will have no choice. Well, they'll actually have two choices. One is to stand back and let the global financial system collapse into something worse than the 1930s deflationary depression. Or 
try to um, inflate their way out of all the bad debt that's bursting by creating even more new currency and dumping into the system and pushing interest rates down even further. Um, that's what they'll try because that's uh, that's worked for them in the past, and it's, it's really all they know. You know, these guys only know easier money. That's that's their whole tool. Uh, you know, toolkit. And like the uh, the old saying goes, when when all you've got is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. <laughs> so for these guys, anything that happens, they automatically respond to it with easier money. So they will do that. But the the problem is that they're starting from a place where they don't have a lot of leeway because interest rates are already. Um, extremely low. They're negative in a lot of places. In other words, if, if you um, um, lend somebody money, you have to pay them for the privilege of lending money to them in a negative interest rate environment. Uh, and so they'll have to push U.S. interest rates down into negative territories, probably. And they'll probably have to um, to go to some kind of a, you know, a government cryptocurrency, which eliminates cash. They won't let us have cash anymore. They'll uh, they'll on our bank accounts, they will take money from us instead of pay us interest, uh, and that'll be the next world. And they'll hope that fixes things, <laughs> and it won't. It'll just make things a lot worse. Uh, so, you know, but when, when I talk about um, a collapse, basically what I mean is that um, governments and big companies and individuals will have a lot more trouble borrowing money because nobody, everybody's terrified. Nobody wants to lend them money. And so a lot of governments and companies and people will start going bankrupt. Then the Fed will step in and try to bail everybody out. And that will make things worse because that'll push up inflation, which will push up interest rates against the Fed's attempt to push them down. And, uh, and the system will just break down. There's a, a thing in the Austrian School of Economics called the crack-up boom, which is, I think, what we're headed for. And that's the point at which uh, a critical mass of people just realize that their, their currency is going to get less and less valuable at an accelerating rate basically forever. And so they bail on the currency. And the minute they get paid, they swap those dollars or euros or yen for real stuff like farmland and houses and, and gold and silver. And so the financial side of the economy, in other words, bank stocks and government bonds, just tank because nobody wants to touch them anymore. Um, and so you get huge inflation in real assets. In other words, gold and silver are going to go through the roof, and you won't be able to touch farmland. You know, good luck trying to buy something like that when this gets going. Um, and so it manifests as inflation. It'll feel like a, a really aggressive inflationary stretch that we go through, but it's really people losing faith in the currency. And that seems to be what's coming. And, and you know, what's at the other end of this? Is anybody's guess? Because Historically, countries have done this quite a few times in the past. In fact, dozens, if not hundreds of times. And, uh, and, you know, frequently you get a political crisis, which leads to some kind of authoritarian government. You know, Germany had a hyperinflation and they got hit. In, in the 1700s, France had a hyperinflation and they got Napoleon, you know. And, and so that's the scary part of this, that we end up uh, in a situation where our gover governments are even more authoritarian than they are now. Um, with no real fix, because tomorrow's authoritarian governments are going to have some serious technologies with which to maintain their power. John, I'm uh, sneaking up on a, uh, the end of the segment here. Uh, my guest today is John Rubino. I uh, will continue my conversation with John in the next segment when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You're listening to RLA Radio. My guest today is Mr. John Rubino 
his website is dollarcollapse.com, and uh, I mentioned in the last segment that uh, that's one of my go-to sources for news. John does a, a, a brilliant job in his breaking news, best of the web uh, segment or section of his website where he links to a number of different stories. I would encourage you to check it out. Uh, I always appreciate his perspective as well. And uh, John, you know, in the last segment, we, we talked about the fact that you know, the, these difficult economic times that uh, are, are looming apparently often lead to a more authoritarian, authoritarian government. I can't say it any better now, John. <laughs> um, but let's talk a little bit about, you know, what that might look like. And, and we chatted a bit before we started uh, talking today that, you know, Bitcoin um, and, and China, there's some events going on there. So that, that kind of all is related. Yeah, well, the cryptocurrency um, emergence is, is one of the really interesting stories of the last few years. Now, basically what, what cryptocurrencies are, and, and Bitcoin is the, the main one that everybody's heard of, uh, they're, they're basically private sector forms of money that have been created by some individual computer programmer and then turned loose on the Internet. So they, you keep track of them via something called the blockchain, which is an online ledger where everybody... Uh, gets updated at the same time and in, in that way makes it, in theory, at least unhackable. Um, and these things started very small and they were kind of under the radar, but in the last few years, they've just exploded. And, and Bitcoin is now worth more than most big companies' um, market cap. Uh, and, and so it's, you know, it's basically like we're running an experiment to see whether it's possible just to transition to private sector forms of money and just bypass the world's governments. In other words, take away the printing presses from the big government by just creating a new form of money that they don't have any control over. Uh, fascinating experiment, really interesting concept. Uh, I'm kind of rooting for cryptos to succeed. Uh, but their, their success of the last few years have been without governments paying much attention. And now they're big enough and valuable enough to become a threat to the world's government. And so what we saw in the last couple of days is um, the government starting to strike back. Um, and overnight, I guess, um, China just reiterated a ban that they'd had in place on, um, on their banks doing anything with cryptocurrencies at all. And that caused cryptos just to tank overnight. So Bitcoin is now down from 60 some thousand dollars per coin to 30-some thousand. So it's almost down by 50% from its recent peak. And the other cryptos are down, in some cases, more than that in percentage terms. So this is a challenge that crypto has always had to face at some point. Now they're going to apparently going to face that challenge in the near term, where governments respond to the threat by trying to regulate them out of existence or just ban them or co-opt them or whatever. You know, There's going to be a lot of different strategies, probably employed by governments to stop crypto. Um, and crypto fans say that um, cryptocurrencies will come through this with flying colors, that, uh, that it's going to turn out that governments cannot um, control cryptocurrencies short of just shutting down the global internet. Uh, and when they find that out, they'll just back off and cryptos will just become the, you know, the de facto store of value and and maybe a medium of exchange in the world, you know? And so we'll see. Uh, I, I think governments have more power than Bitcoin um, fans think governments do, but I, I really don't have any 
you know, way of knowing how this is going to play out. It's just a fascinating thing to watch. Yeah, yet another fascinating disruption of the global financial system that might be good and it might be very bad for a lot of people. So we'll have to see. But uh, uh, but I think the crypto story is is probably one of the really interesting stories of the coming decade because it's, it's you know it's by no means over just because China made an announcement and cryptos went down um, last night. Um, you know, the story has a long way to run and, and cryptos have a lot more interesting things to do and to have be, have done to them. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't know how to invest in them, though. You know, I, I, I really don't know how to advise anybody to, um, um, to treat cryptos within their investment portfolio because, you know, we saw this kind of volatility in the last, well, really in the last few years where Bitcoin went from 3,000 to 15,000 then uh, or no, from 200 to 15,000, then down to 3,000, then up to 60,000. So how do you invest in something like that? It's not clear. Um, but it's because things are evolving so quickly and it's so uncertain, you might want to include Bitcoin and some of the other cryptos in the basket of real assets that you look at. If you are an individual trying to get away from this big financial crisis by moving into real things, you know, you want some commodities like uh, copper and iron ore and maybe some kind of housing exposure. And you definitely want gold and silver and maybe farmland, stuff like that. But maybe you want cryptos, too, you know, and, and uh, I, I wouldn't say that definitively yet. But I think that's definitely something to look at as you're structuring your own finances, especially if they get whacked the more here and they go down. You know, as volatile as they are, the further down they go, the more upside that they have. So, I, again, we'll have to see. Nothing is certain in this world, except that probably gold and silver will do fine. <laughs> but everything else is, is really in flux right now. Um, and so, personally, I'm, I'm way, way, way overweighted in precious metals, just because that seems like the only truly safe place out there right now. And, John, don't you think when you study history that uh... – you know, you'd mentioned this in the last segment that whenever there has been currency failures, the population pretty much insists on a currency linked to something tangible. Don't you think that ultimately, eventually, we have to end up there again? Yeah, I, I do think that. And uh, the question is, do we do it in a chaotic way because the market imposes it on us? In other words, if, if currencies just start collapsing, and people start hoarding real assets, and governments just have to, you know, rip, uh, accept that at some point uh, after a huge crisis in which their currencies just collapse and cause misery for everybody. Or do we do it in a rational way where uh, where governments just recognize that the fiat currency experiment is a failure and just go back to some kind of a um, a commodity-based currency where you've got something like gold doesn't have to be gold, but gold has been the thing that has worked pretty well for um, 5,000 years. And you've got that as your base money. And then the currency that circulates is just a representation of the gold that is in the government's vault. In other words, the, the dollar used to be just a name for a certain weight of gold. And that's what the other currencies of the world were too. We could go back to something like that, only um, you know the high-tech version where um, digital dollars are um, transferred from one place to another via some kind of a, a cryptocurrency-like blockchain system. Um, 
but it's still gold in a vault somewhere that is the actual money of a society. And because the, the supply of gold and of silver, you know, we can we could also use silver in this this future monetary system, the supply of those metals grows only very slowly because you have to dig it out of the ground. And and historically we've gotten like one, one and a half percent more gold each year. Um, which is a is a good increase in the supply of money you know the ideal money would would not increase in supply at all it would just be perfectly stable but the fact that gold increases very slowly and in a predictable way uh, makes it a really good base money for a system because if it only increases at that very slow rate it will tend to it'll stay as rare as it has been and it will tend to hold its value uh, which is what it's done for three thousand years you know um in the Roman Empire, an ounce of gold bought a pretty good man's toga. Today, an ounce of gold buys a, a decent man's suit. You know, it's it, it held its value. And, and you can say that about all kinds of other of, of like staples where gold buys pretty much the same as it did way back when. Uh, and the reason for that is that gold is um, stable in terms of supplies. It stays as rare as it's always been, and therefore its, it's uh, value stays pretty much what it was. Um, so if we go back to something like that, just uh, you know, on some Sunday night, they just announced that henceforth the dollar is just a name for one ten thousandth of an ounce of gold, and and gold and dollars are exchangeable at any government office. Then, then we would have this huge burst of inflation, which would hurt everybody that trusts the government, but would um, give us a sustainable monetary system going forward. And that's probably the best case scenario, but it seems like the least likely one at this point. You know, I think they're going to thrash around and and try all kinds of authoritarian, modern monetary, um, you know, cryptocurrency strategies um, at the governmental level before they finally give up (laughs) and go back to real money. Uh, And, you know, the average person who trusts the government is the one who's going to be hurt by this. You know, the retiree who puts their money in a bank account, that bank account will be worth a lot less when something like this happens. Or um, middle-class people who are saving for retirement and uh, do so via government bond fund, which will also become a lot less valuable in this scenario. Those are the guys who will be hurt. And rich people who own all the real assets, you know, who own a bunch of gold already, and Bill Gates, who is now the biggest owner of farmland in America, you know, those guys will make out the sign, of course. Um, and uh, once again, it'll be regular people who don't deserve to be hurt because they're playing by the rules who are hurt most by this. Well, my guest today has been Mr. John Rabino. His website is dollarcollapse.com. And, uh, John, we've got about a minute left in this segment. Uh, do you want to take uh, 30 seconds or so and talk about your website? Yeah, actually, I'd rather um, give a little bit of advice out there because uh, I think it's, it's easy to get wrapped up in the, the gloom and doomy side of the story. But it's actually also an investment thesis. You, know, you can make a lot of money if you um, buy the right things at the right time. Uh, and I think precious metals are a big part of that story. So don't think of this as a horrendous crisis that's coming. Think of it as an investment opportunity for you to protect your family and yourself by doing the right thing. Well, that's a terrific way to end this segment. Again, my guest has been Mr. John Rabino. His website is dollarcollapse.com. I'd encourage you to check it out. John, thanks for joining us today, and i uh, love to catch up with you again down the road. Great. Look forward to it, Dennis. We will return after these words. This is Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. 
Thanks again to Mr. John Rabino for joining me on today's program. We've been talking today about the proverbial elephant in the room. Food prices are higher, lumber prices are higher, fuel prices are higher, and gold and silver are nominally higher. But given the inflation that exists, they haven't really moved as high or as far or as fast as one might have expected them to. Now, this past week, Frank Holmes, who is CEO of U.S. Global Investors, uh, made a rather interesting comment. And I'm quoting, he said, The threat of gold exploding would basically say they have lost control. And I really think there is some type of stabilization, if you want to call it. Now, who is the they that Mr. Holmes is referring to? Well, the they is the Federal Reserve. And what he's saying is that if gold prices explode, if gold prices rocket higher, it would be obvious to everyone that the Fed has lost control. So he is suggesting that there's some type of stabilization. Now, we've talked on this program in the past that there have been many big banks in the past, I should say some big banks in the past, that have been caught rigging or manipulating the price of gold. Now, you may be wondering, how does this work? How does a bank, a bullion bank, manipulate the price of gold? Well, Craig Hemke of Sprott Money News wrote an interesting article And I talked about this in the weekly newsletter that I published called Portfolio Watch. If you're not yet a subscriber, go get the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates app by visiting the App Store and searching your RLA, spelled as one word, Y-O-U-R-R-L-A. And uh, when you get the free app, you'll also get a free subscription to the weekly newsletter. Well, Hemke said this. On Thursday, May 6, Friday, May 7, and Monday, May 10, we had some of the most bullish news of the year hit for gold. Inflation is emerging. Real real interest rates are plunging. Wages are increasing, and stagflation is pending. All of this combined to surge speculator interest in COMEX gold. Prices, in fact, gold prices over those three days rose $55. But that really doesn't tell the whole story. Over those same three days, the market-making banks created and added 45,858 new COMEX gold contracts. Now, if you're not familiar with the COMEX market, the COMEX market is where gold and silver futures are traded. So the banks created these contracts and sold them. The banks took the short side, expecting that prices would go down, and speculators took the long side of the trade. They were betting on gold prices going up. Now what you have to understand about this market is the banks created gold from nothing. They just issued these contracts, and the only way any gold changes hands is that one of the buyers of the contracts 
decides to hold the contract for maturity and then stands for delivery. So the bank created all this gold really from nothing and sold it to speculators who bought this gold, this paper gold, if you will, by putting 15% down. They bought it on margin. The important thing to remember is no, no physical gold ever changed hands. No physical gold entered the Comex warehouses as collateral. What it is is one side making a bet against the other. Now, this allows the banks to control the rally through new contract issuance. Now, banks make money whenever contracts are sold. They get a commission. Now, how many ounces of gold does this represent? If you look at the 45,858 contracts created over those three days, each contract represents 100 ounces of gold. So that's 4,585,800 ounces of gold. And if you convert that into metric tons, it's nearly 143 metric tons. To put that into perspective, that's more than the official reserves of Sweden, more than the official reserves of South Africa, and it's also about a third of the entire current stock of gold in the COMEX vaults that's marked as registered. So in three days, the big bullion banks issued short contracts representing about a third of all the gold that exists on COMEX. Now what happens if all these buyers of these contracts, or many of them, decide to stand for delivery? See, what you have here, in my view, is something going on that is unsustainable. Ultimately, I believe the fundamentals will take over, and increasing inflation will lead to much higher nominal gold and silver prices. I think this, at least in part, explains the disparity between paper gold or the spot price of gold or paper silver or the spot price of silver and what you actually pay or receive when you buy or sell physical gold and silver. So certainly in light of this, you certainly want to own physical metals in your portfolio. You don't want to own paper gold or paper silver because counterparty risks risk rather exists. That counterparty risk does not exist when you actually own the physical metals. Now, if you've not yet received the May special report titled the five threats to your retirement and how to potentially avoid them, I would encourage you to get a copy of the report. All you have to do is visit our website, requestyourreportnow.com. The website again is requestyourreportnow.com. If you let us know where you'd like us to mail that report, we'd be very glad to do that. And with that report, we will also include uh, a couple of our books that um, really give you some strategies to consider uh, moving ahead as well. So again, that's requestyourreportnow.com. Also, we do have a website with a lot of free resources available. It is retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That's retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. If you've not yet visited the website, I'd encourage you to check it out. And as I mentioned earlier in this segment, 
you should also get a an app, the, the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates app. It is free. Go to the App Store, search under your RLA. That's Y-O-U-R-R-L-A. And uh, you'll get access to our weekly headline roundup webinars and the replay of those webinars. You'll also get uh, the newsletter as well as the podcast version of this radio program. That's all the time I have for this week. I hope you got something you can use, and I'll be back again next week.